alive. You know, I think that's that's what we all kind of strive for in this life. It's like, how do I feel alive? And when I did it, I was like, holy fuck, this is this is the thing. This is it. <laughs> we are live. Welcome. My name is Steve Didier. This is the Ronin Mindset Podcast. And today, this episode, we're going to have a lot of fun because of our guest. Not only is she successful, self-made, hyper-intelligent, all those things you look for in a person, but she is freaking hilarious. So, Linda Schwartz, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to see you. Oh my God. How long has it been now? Like a million years, at least a decade, at least. Good Lord. Yeah. Since we've actually seen each seen other. Each other. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, I, okay. So yeah, we'll, we'll go back a second because I think it was 2013. No, it was 2012 that we actually met. We met in 2012. Yes. And I'm because I remember sitting at the Empire House drinking rogue dead guy waiting for you to get off work yes. was in the neighborhood of san diego hillcrest yes <laughs> yes and uh yeah i got pretty drunk and then yeah we met and been friends since so i know i but, showed up and we shared some tater tots and some wings i'm sure and, <laughs> and yes. that was Bonded legitimately over tater tots. yeah it was like legitimately the best meal i had and you know probably that, that year for sure <laughs> For sure. Amazing. That was so much fun. I and mean, then we saw each other a couple of times after that, but we haven't seen each other in person for like probably nine since, years at least. Since then. Wait, no, we did the commercial. We did the mark. That's that marketing commercial together. Do you remember that? Yes. That silly yes. ass commercial. <laughs> that was so much fun. And you see uh, Nikki Lemo is blowing up. She's got like a podcast thing. I, I checked her out on YouTube the other day and she is huge. No, I ha I haven't checked in with Nikki at all. Like I have no idea what she's doing, but I'm sure she's gotten big. She has always kind of been big. So I'm not surprised. I'm yeah, so check out her YouTube. Surprised. Check out her YouTube. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. I will. I will. She's got videos on there that I think over a million views and stuff. Wow. That's amazing. She's killing it. Killing it. Yeah. So yeah, we saw each other then. Um, was that, were, were you in Denver? I was in Denver, but I got sick in Denver. Oh, the, yeah, that was 2013. I, that was like a couple weeks before I left for Mexico. Yes. And it was right when I got back from Bali. So when I got back from Bali, I came back to Denver because um, of the business that we were in. And I was like, okay, so I need to get back to the States because I really can't miss this event. And when right. I got back... I went to, I don't want to name names, but it was at the Appaloosa Grill. I went there okay. and <laughs> and had the worst meal because of my, I don't know if it was like my stomach or what, but I remember I had like these bison empanadas at well, the Appaloosa Grill in Denver. <laughs> and it totally just jacked me up and I did not get to attend that event at all because I was literally coming out both ends. It was oh, horrendous. Lovely. It was horrendous. <laughs> yeah. So that's my memory of Denver. And I'm pretty sure if I was feeling well, we would have seen each other, but I was literally in the hotel room that entire weekend. 
Ew. Yeah, it was terrible. Hey, that's a good visual, though. <sighs> it was so bad. <sighs> One of those. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good. So how have you been? It's, uh, I've been really, really good. Um, this, this podcast is actually like, obviously it's the Ronin mindset, but one of the things, well, there's a couple layers to this. One, I like talking to people who are successful, obviously, but took their own path, their own unique path you know, Ronin, wandering man sort of thing, and also overcame something or didn't come from, you know, something that would scream success. Right. You know what I mean? And you, I know a little bit of your story. I mean, you were Georgia to Cali to Bali back to, I mean, you've been all over the place, but now up there given natural birth in La Jolla and... and you uh, saw that? You saw that? I saw you walking naked around the patio and like... <laughs> I had emojis covering my ass and my tits, okay? So yes, if Facebook did. didn't take it down, I'm cool with it. But YouTube YouTube did take it down. Really? I'm, I'm a little peeved by that, but it's okay. YouTube's a little weird. I'm surprised Facebook. They've they got weird stuff too going on. Yeah, here, Facebook but. don't give a shit. <laughs> but yeah, there were strategically placed emojis as you <laughs> walked around. But uh, yeah, I felt, felt like I got to know you on a deeper level. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah like so that's that's kind of the thing but what i'm doing is i'm taking this podcast on the road oh like, sweet i'm in the middle of um i'm in minnesota right now for about another week cool and then i'm heading to miami for a couple of weeks oh nice what's and in miami miami stuff cocaine well no. <laughs> cocaine <Shh. laughs> pablo escobar no those are my early days I know. um it's uh yeah i know south beach and just check it out and spend some time there and then um then i'm getting on a plane to miami and going to marbella on the south coast of spain okay and i'm gonna spend a week or two there and then i'm gonna jump a plane and go to thailand nice oh okay so you had been you i remember you reached out like a while ago and you were planning this so this is the movement you're you're gonna do it this yep. is like the I'm jumping off point jumping off point um, amazing miami thing is already booked miami's booked uh and then depending on be kind of loose i'm gonna be there two or three weeks whatever and then spain and you know after thailand i have no plans sweet none just live by the seat of your pants i mean that's kind of how we've been living anyways right right yeah i have a stupid question okay so what's what's Ronin? <laughs> what's Ronin mean? Like what's the what's the meaning behind this podcast name? Okay, so you, that is a good question. I figured you would know. I don't know shit. Okay, all right. <laughs> I don't know um, shit. That's it. Okay, so Ronin, it, the, the the most literal translation from Japanese to English is wandering man. Oh. But it's specific to a type of samurai. You remember the old samurai feudal Japan? No, but sure. <laughs> okay. So the samurai were a warrior class in feudal Japan. You know, they, they generally had allegiance to a lord or a master or something. Um, and they would fight for them. Um, but a ronin was a masterless samurai. So kind of out on their own. Am I in focus here? What's going on? Okay. Um, so if, they're, if their master or their lord got killed, they were just 
wandering. Uh, they would typically be mercenaries. Um, or if they were somehow disgraced or something like that, they were just kind of kicked out. So they were a ronin without a master, without a clan, without everything. So they wandering. Yes. Perfect. Totally get it. Yeah. But still adhering to that samurai code. You know what I mean? Got it. Yes, totally. So, okay. Very cool. So hence the you know, liking to talk to people who have succeeded, but did it their own way. Yes. Which yes, yes, yes. You really have. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I just kind of, you know, I kind of am in the mindset and the philosophy of, um, you know, I've always kind of made my own, done my own thing in my own way, in my own time. Right. I think that's what you're saying really in a nutshell, 100%. like people who have yeah. done that. And I've kind of always had that philosophy because I always felt different, you know, and I think for me, that feeling of not fitting in, not belonging anywhere, not, um, having the typical upbringing that most people that I know have um, made me kind of forge out my own path. And, you know, I mean, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but, you know, I Let's start am... at the beginning. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning because you, <laughs> one thing that I noticed about you, maybe you've calmed it down a little bit, but you're this beautiful Laotian woman with this deep Southern Bell accent. <laughs> I you know it it used to be a lot deeper but it was a lot deeper um but yeah so you know like i was born and raised in savannah georgia and my parents were immigrants they came here with the clothes on their backs and three boys i was their first american born so there's like even inside of that context there's a lot to live up to as the first American-born kid, right? Yeah, From no immigrant, pressure, Linda. yeah, immigrant parents. But I didn't have like the typical upbringing, even in a Lao family. Like you know, a lot of the Lao kids that I knew, um, their parents were not alcoholics or crazy. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so you know, it Strange, was weird. Yeah, right. And and you know, what was what's kind of been in my upbringing or like in the context of all of that, I was just different. I always felt different. I mean, I was in the South when I went to school. I went to school with a lot of country ass white kids and country ass black kids and, you know, and like there was no one who looked like me and, or there was very few people who looked like me. So it was just a very small portion of us. I swear, I remember in middle school, there was probably five and a half Asian kids. And I say half because Angela Carroll was half Korean and half white. Like, you know, I still uh, count her. I, I still yeah, include her. She gets um, 50%. Yeah. And like, and the other Four were me, my friend Sammy Moshateri, who was an Asian, a Thai kid who was adopted by an Italian dude, and um, and Han, who is a Vietnamese chick, Angela Carroll, who was half Korean, half white, and this I, I forget the dude's name, but he was Honduran. So like you know, there was literally a very very small ethnic group in middle school. So like, I didn't see 
a lot of Asian kids. I saw a lot of I saw a lot of white kids, a lot of black kids, and just the very few of these Asian kids who were there. So I never really felt like I belonged anywhere. I was questioning my identity from like I, for as long as I can remember. Like uh, you yep. know, it, I was just like, who am I? <laughs> All the time. It was so. So you know, like growing up in that environment with my mom. Um, being, you know, I have a bit about her where I say she's a Gemini with a psycho rising and a moon in narcissist (laughs) because, because she is, you know, she's insane. She was insane. She was like, she, she just, she was, you know, and now I know there's a lot of like mental health issues there. You know, my brother was actually right. just diagnosed with bipolar and they live together. And so, you know, I'm not surprised that they're kind of cohabitating in the way that they do. But right. um, but my dad was an alcoholic and he wasn't like a mean alcoholic. He was just he was just drowning, self-medicating because, you know, he came to America with nothing on his back, thinking that it was going to be um, a new life for him, which it was, but it was still a very, very hard struggle. Like he was a man who, um, you know, knew four or five languages and he had a college degree in Laos and, but he had to, he came to America not knowing a lick of English and had to learn English. And he ended up like just being a painter at Gulfstream Aerospace. And I don't think that's what he saw for himself. So when he came here, I think that that drove him to self-medicate and, um, and also my, you know, like my mom, like it was just too much to, she's too much to, to handle and too yeah, much to bear. That, that sounds like it'd be a big contributing factor. Yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff going on there, but yeah, if you, if you're, if you're in close proximity with a woman who's truly crazy, that, um, that could be trying as a guy. You think? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've had some crazy ladies in your life, Steve. Uh, a couple, <laughs> a few here and there. I mean, I used to be a crazy lady in a man's life, used to be, but, you know, I've done a lot of work on myself, so I'm not that crazy right. anymore. Right. Hey, but at least you realized at some point that you were crazy and fixed it. <sighs> All of my yeah. crazy girls can't admit that they're crazy. That's always me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no there when you're crazy. There's no self awareness of your crazy, no. you know. No. So, but so you know, so so that just kind of gives you a little bit of my background. Like we were very poor. I mean, my my we grew up like just so disconnected in so many ways. And I mean, I ended up in foster care at one point. Um, and, you know, I, I, and, and, you know, now that I look back on it, I, I think that the foster care situation was actually one of the first times I felt some normalcy in my life and felt like, I just remember walking in there and had this feeling and this sense like, oh, this is what a normal family feels like. This is what normal, uh... this is what family feels like is supposed to feel like. Okay. And, you know, I remember showing up at, on their doorstep with just a trash bag of my clothes. And the minute that 
Um, she opened the door. She was super sweet, like this super sweet, like country white lady. Um, oh. She's like, hey, baby, do, do you want something to eat? There it is. You know, do you That's want something to eat? Do you need something to drink? Right. And like, it was just that the first time I felt like, wow, someone really wants to take care of me. Because I've always felt that sense of like, I'm on my own and I'll always right. be on my own. You know what I right. mean? It's a tough situation for a kid, especially during your formative years. Because how old were you when you went into foster care? I was about 13 and it was a very short stint too. It, was, it wasn't okay. a long stint. It was um, probably a, under a year or about a year that I was in. Okay. Yeah. And I stayed with the same family the whole time. And Well, that's, that's kind of lucky you got a, a good family. Yeah. They were amazing. I, I still keep in touch with them to this day. Oh, that's super cool. That's super yeah. cool. So what you're saying is this isn't really the, the fertile ground for somebody who's going to be successful. <laughs> no, this is not. These are not the circumstances that typically, you know, like when we think of success or when we see people succeed, like, um, you know, we always wonder what that background is, is like and what their circumstances were. Did they have an edge because their parents were um, you know, rich or they had a healthy relationship. You know what I mean? Like I wish I could, you know, sometimes you just, you just never know what people go through and and why they have that drive. But I've always felt like I was meant for something more, you know? And I think that's a, that's something that a lot of people who are, um, who succeed, um, despite their circumstances feel, you know, right. like no, there's something I would tend there. to agree. I would tend to agree with you. There's got to be something generally that motivates people and something. And a lot of times it's childhood. Like my, my story is completely different from yours. Like I like a Norman Rockefeller white, you know, family. My parents are still together. They've been married 57 years this wow. year. Wow. That's amazing. 57. I know. I'm like, wow. So, but I was also raised in very, very rural Minnesota. And most everybody here, you know, you graduate, marry the your high school sweetheart and have kids and do a farm and that's, right. that's just what you do. Yes. And I can remember like when I was, you know, four, five years old, we didn't have a TV, but we'd go to my grandma's house and watch TV and I'd be watching, you remember those old shows like Hawaii Five-0? Yeah. And Miami Vice and I'd be like... Oh my God! Even Fantasy Island, you know, with a little, a little dwarf guy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'd be watching. i like, man, I want to. I, 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 palm trees and beaches. Like, I just wanted sports cars. Or I want something more, you know. And you know, all my brothers and sisters are they're awesome. I love them, but they, they would look at me like I was crazy because they wanted to play with. I want to play with sports cars. They wanted to play with tractors, and you know, they were you know trucks and things like that. So yeah. I never. I never felt at home. I'm still wandering. I still haven't found a place I feel like, oh, this is home, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, I know. I've known you for a long so, time. <laughs> I know. I can't hold still. I know. I think that's great, though. I, 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 that's what I, that's the one thing that I really admire and love about you is that you have just kind of, you know, lived by the seat of your pants and, and you've made your life the way that you make your life and you've created a really great life for yourself. So... 
you know, kudos to that. Well, pros and cons to everything, right? But sure. I, I'm happy. And, you know, for the first time in a really long time, I feel like truly, truly free because no girlfriend. Oh. And, you know, I love Winston to death, but, you know, no dog. I don't have a pet anymore. That's right. You know? Yeah. It was about a year ago. I had to put him down. Um, but it's very difficult. I can't just go bounce to Spain and then Thailand and hang out if I have a dog. I just can't yeah. do it. Yeah. So, you know, that and... I changed my whole business model so that I'm not on the phone and having to do sales and coaching. I change it to a strictly a marketing model and doing the podcast and selling credit products and you know, all that. So yeah. I, I kind of woke up one day and I was like, I'm free. So I'm going <sighs> to take advantage of it and just go. And that's why I can, I'm just going to go to Thailand. I have no idea where I'm going to Thailand. I'm going to stay there however long visa I can get. And then maybe I'll go to Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Philippines, Bali. I don't know. I, I felt that once. I really, I felt that once. I felt yep. that once. Yeah. I remember was, you took off to Bali. Yeah. I remember I kind of had a, the same epiphany. You know, I woke up one day, it was a Thursday. I was like, I got into work a little bit early that day. And I just, I don't know what came over me, but I just started looking at one-way tickets someplace. You know, it wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking about it. I was just like, oh, you know, I'm, I have a few minutes. And I just started looking for one-way tickets. And then I reached out to my friend who was like, hey, you know, he'd been bugging me for months about going to Bali on this group trip. And I was like, no, dude, I can't go. I got to work. I, I can't, I can't leave my life. What do you mean? Right. You know, I've got my career and a job. Are you, and yeah. are you crazy? Like, pff, no way. And, um, and I reached out to him and he was like, yeah, I got room for one more. You want to come? And I was like, I looked at my reflection in my computer and I was like, fuck it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And I was like, Count me in. I typed him back. I was like, count me in. I'm buying a one-way ticket right now. He called me immediately and was like, are you okay? Like, what is happening over What's there? Happening? Are you okay? And, you know, I had just, like, I had been in this, like, on and off relationship with this dude. And it. I knew that it wasn't ever going to work. And um, I, I yeah, I just, I would broken up with him for like the umpteenth time. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And that was the epitome of the on again, off again, on again. Yeah. It's just, I was <laughs> like, you know, this is insane. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. And I was like, you know what? I don't have anything holding me down, tying me here. And, um, I have enough money saved up and we were in that business that we were in. And I was like right. racking up sales. It was like taking off for me. And, yeah. um, and I was like, I, I don't, I don't need to be here. I don't need this life. I can just go and be free. And that was the exact feeling I had. I was like, Oh my God, I'm free. I don't have any kids. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't need this job. Um, I could just go and I, you know, booked that one way ticket, went to Bali with my friends, stayed with, they stayed, you know, for 10 days with me. And then when they left, I was like, Oh shit. Like, Oh, this is, this is legitimately the scariest thing I've ever done. Cause I, 
you know, I sold everything. I quit, I quit my job. Um, I literally packed my life into a suitcase and a carry-on bag. And the only possessions I had were all the pretty dresses that I owned that I loved. And, um, you know, a few high heel shoes and, um, some flip flops and a pair of sneakers and my computer and my phone. And that was it. And I was, and I was happy. I was like, okay, you know, I took off, um, spent two months in Bali, just figuring out like the whole thing, the whole, like being on my own and living, you know, literally day to day wondering, what am I going to do now? Like waking up and being like, well, what am I going to do today? You know, not having that sense of being tied down to a schedule or to a person or to children or <laughs> to anything except myself. And I just felt this incredible desire to just explore and learn about myself and push myself beyond my own limits because I, I knew nobody when I got to Bali and I left, I left there having a handful of really, really close friends, you know? And so, um, that really taught me a very valuable lesson in that I can be at home where, wherever I am and make friends and have a community and create community you know, and, um, and rely on myself and my capabilities and my skills to make a living. Because I think that's when I had the realization that I didn't need a job. I, you know, and I, and one of our, um, one of my mentors at the time, um, you know, I really, I haven't, I don't follow him anymore, but he used to say, you don't need an, you don't need a job. You need an income. And like, the more I thought about that, I was like, wow, like I, I, you're right. And, and then, and then it occurred to me while I was there that I, I could rely on my skills and rely on the things that I knew, the education that I had, everything that I learned from those marketing, um, those MLMs that I joined, you know, every year for the first 10 years of, <laughs> My, you know, like, like I, I literally joined every MLM I could when from the time that I was eighteen till twenty nine, like, <laughs> you know, and but I always was in the mindset of learning something, and it all just came to a head when I, you know, left and decided that I could could do it on my own. It, I find from what you're saying, it rings a bell with me because. When I did the same sort of thing when I moved yeah. to Mexico, it was about uh, the same time. I, it was very close to the same time, yeah. and I was there for five years. Yeah, and you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about the world. You learn a lot about people. Yep. And some of the best friends I have are guys that I met in Mexico. Yeah. And you find a lot of kindred spirits. I'm sure you met people, travelers and things like that in Bali, oh. where you just kind of hit yes. it off because you know, my friends there, they're from England and from the U.S. You're like, there's a whole bunch of people there from all over the world. I'm sure some, I haven't been to Bali yet, but I'll be there shortly. Yes, <laughs> so. dude. Oh, let me tell you a, a story about that. So, um, so when I was in Bali, my friend Steve was like, hey, let's go to this little island. Good uh, name by the way. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 
duh. Well, but you know, what was really great about Steve was in this and how I knew that we were supposed to meet and be friends was that we shared a birthday, like, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know? And so we kind of like became almost inseparable friends when I was yeah. there. And he's like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to this little Island off of um, Bali. It's a, it's about a two hour boat ride. Do you want to come? And I was like, of course I want to come. Yes. yes. And, um, and so it was me, my, our friend Jan and Steve, and we took this boat ride. It was, a t and I sat up on the very top of the boat with zero sunscreen on. And by the time we got to the island, I think it was called Gili Trawangan. Um, I was just beet red. I was so sunburnt from my head to my toes, just my front side. Just your uh, front it, side. It, 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 was, <laughs> it, it was, it was crazy. But so we get there and we go out to dinner that night and I keep like, we're at dinner at this Thai restaurant. And by the way, Gili Trawangan is like, it's like a step back in time. There were no vehicles, really? no elect, like it was just, oh. you get around by bike, by horse carriage or by like tuk-tuk or whatever those little things or by, by feet. Right. And so we're sitting, um, we're sitting at dinner at this Thai restaurant and I, um, you know, and I'm, I don't know about you, but for me, like I, my experience of, um, cause I ask for a lot of signs, like I'm that I'm in the right place, you know, like the universal support. And so I, I like, I was really scared cause it was, I, my friends had just left and, you know, I was like, what am I, is this, the right thing for me to do, you know, like I was just kind of putting it out there. Please give me a sign that I'm on the right track. And we're sitting at dinner and I just keep seeing this guy that looked super, super familiar. And, um, and I just kept looking at him and he kept looking at me and I was like, do we know each other? And, um, and I was like, gosh, he just looks so familiar. And I think he is related to someone I took a class, a, a, a landmark class with back in like 2011, right? And so we get back to the hotel room. I was like, oh, you know who would know? My friend um, in San Diego. And so I sent my message, of, I sent my friend a message on Facebook and I was like, hey, I think I just saw such and such um, from our forum. Uh, in Bali, I think I just, actually, I think I just saw his brother and he was like, no, 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 that's him. That's the guy. He has a property in Bali. You should reach out to him. So I ended up reaching out to him on Facebook and I was like, dude, what are the chances that we would see each other on this itty bitty teeny tiny little island in the middle of nowhere? Where there is no internet connection, there is no like, I mean, not internet connection, but it was like, there was just like, just, what are the chances that it was, because it's so remote, right? And I was like, and then I was like, okay, surrender. I'm on the right path. And it turns out it was, it was the guy that was in that class with me and that course with me and I hadn't seen him in like two or three years. And I just saw him on this 
crazy remote island in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, that just goes to show that like when you just listen to yourself and listen to your intuition and listen to those urges that that keep nagging at you to go or travel or, you know, to leave. <laughs> um, sometimes it's just the universe pulling you to do the thing that you know you need to do. You know, like I, I kind of, in that experience when I was buying that one-way ticket in my office, it felt like this huge um, universal pull. Like there was no way it was like, okay, we, it, it was like a spiritual two by four hitting me across the head saying, pay attention, bitch. Like yeah. pay Come attention. On. Yeah. We've given you enough hints. <laughs> yeah. Like shit. Yeah. So, so yeah, like, you know, it was, it was really a very life affirming journey for sure. And, um, you know, like you were saying, when you travel, you just meet your kindred spirits and you meet all these people who have given up a portion of their lives to go live somewhere else. And, um, and it's really interesting because like those people have the same sense of adventure. They have the same sense of like self. They have the same sense of, um, being self-reliant and, you know, having that, that feeling like you can make it on your own. You can do it. You can do it on your, in your own way and in your own time. Right. Yep. In your own way, on your own time. And also that, that sense of adventure, because so many people I've found that have reached out to me, they're like, <clears throat> when I moved to Mexico, so many people, so many people, oh my God, I wish I could do that. I've always yeah. dreamed of like, like everybody, you know, and I'm not knocking anybody or, or nine to five jobs or anything like that, but I got reached out to by so many people are like, I'm just too scared to do it. I yeah. can't do it. Like, you're so, I'm like, I'm like, you, you just need to do it at some point. It you just know, becomes I think. a choice. It, yeah, becomes it, a becomes, it is a choice in a lot of, in a lot of cases, you know, there's some cases like right now, it would be tough for you to jump off yeah, and go to value. You got a family, house, kid, yeah, all that, everything. but it's still, you're still doing your own thing, which is super cool. So let's talk about that. You got the whole comedy thing going on and you are killing it. I see it on Facebook. I see you on the, on the mic. I see little comedy bits on reels. So what is, bring me up to speed on that. Cause I see. But yeah, I don't know exactly what's going on. I know you're. Yeah. I know you're a boss. I know you're a boss. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, th actually, it goes. It, this actually goes back to right around the the time that you and I met, because um, when I turned thirty um, was January of two thousand twelve, and oh, God, that was the first time I did stand-up comedy and like I just fell in love with it I I had I mean it was the most exhilarating feeling that I'd ever felt like I it was I felt alive you know I think that's that's what we all kind of strive for in this life it's like how do i feel alive and um that is actually really profound you know 
That's what it we is, want, right? Right. That's that's all we want as human beings is to feel alive. And right. and when I did it, I was like, holy fuck, this is this is the thing. This is it. Yeah. You know? But I was going through a lot at the time. I don't know if you remember, but um I like a few months before that, I had been physically assaulted by my roommate and my former best friend at the time. And like that occurrence, that incident totally just fucked me up mentally, spiritually. And like, I didn't feel safe in my own skin. I didn't feel secure in my own thoughts. I didn't feel, um, I just felt really alone and um, disconnected because all of a sudden, I mean, you, you know me, you know me well enough to know that like, I'm very open. I, I, I am just out there and free spirited. But when this happened, it really like got me into this place of feeling small again, feeling like that little girl in Savannah who grew up with nothing, who was always insecure about where she was going to live and what she was going to eat and who was going to take care of her. And I just felt this sense of um, disconnection from my true self, like from my my true nature. And that was 2012? That was, the incident happened in 2011. Okay, that's right. I could, you know, and here's what's remarkable about that. Going through that event, which was traumatic, of course, but you're still open and trusting and all that. Because remember when I was coming to San Diego, you're like, oh, I got a, I got a place you can stay on my couch. We had never actually met. Yeah. We were like social media friends. And I was always like, wow, you know, that's, that's, that's really getting over your fears because I could see where that would make terrified of having anybody in the house really yeah so you know that that but luckily I had my the courses that I was in to help me really reframe my thinking but also um at by the end of 2011 I was like you know I I can't live like this I can't live in, because I know who I am and I know what I want in life and I know that this isn't going to keep me from doing the things that I want to do. It might be a minor setback at the moment. And it was very traumatic. I mean, I lost, not only did I get physically assaulted and, you know, got the shit choked out of me, but... I also lost a very, very good friend, you know, in yeah. the process. Of that. And so there was a lot of like loss and grieving and hurt and all of that. And the trauma, like just reliving it in my mind over and over and over being stuck in bed, being, you know, all, all those things falling into a depression. And then yeah. December rolled around. I was like, okay, something's got to change. Like something has got to change. And luckily I had the tools and the classes and the courses that I was in. And so I, you know, reviewed some of those courses and had to get reframed and get my mind reframed and recentered and like do a lot of like self-forgiveness and forgiveness of him to move on. And, um, and that was like dis- December of 2011 and 2012 in January of 2012 was when I did 
my first stand-up comedy thing. And it was like, okay, this is it. This is amazing. I feel awesome. And, and then, you know, we were in that business together. And so, um, and I was working a lot. And so like, I was really starting to get into it, but I also recognized that I wasn't fully where I was, where I wanted to be in my health and well-being and my mental well-being and all of that. Like I reframed some things, but it wasn't like fully complete, right? It wasn't fully clear for me to be like, um, you know, I'm just going to do stand up and, and, you know, I had a full-time job. I was doing stand up. I was doing that business and it just occurred to me. I was like, you know, I really just need to get myself right. And that was when, um, so I took a long break. I took a really, really long break. I was like, what keep, what kept coming forward for me was, um, work more on yourself than you do on your business or on the thing that you want. And so I was like, okay, like I can take a break and just go and find myself and go and, and feel like, just get reacquainted with who I am, especially after that incident. I was like, I really need to just know who I am as a person, as a human being again. And, um, and then, you know, that's when I sold all my shit and was like, peace, I'm out, you know? Deuces. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a really key mindset component though is focusing on yourself yeah personal development whatever that means you know that i think there's multiple parts to that you've got the physical component working out staying fit and healthy um and confident in yourself that way and also mentally and emotionally and spiritually and everything else that goes with that yeah so you know and then i took a long break and then um i met my husband we were dating and we started doing this you know spiritual development course and inside of that course i was like I really like I thought about stand up all the time, you know, like I, I was like, I really need to get back into it. It just but there was always like this fear, you know, this right. this, um, you know, I, by the way, I had like major stage fright, like major and <laughs> <laughs> like crippling. I remember was that was that the main fear component that was. Kind yeah, of it was back? the main. Yeah. Just the performing on stage thing. And, um, I mean, I remember my friend, like we were at, um, a show and they called my name to get on stage. And he was like, Linda go. And I was like, uh, I was like just frozen. I was paralyzed by fear. My, my feet literally wouldn't move. And he literally had to shove me to get me going onto the stage. And, um, and so there was a lot of like that, you know, and, and so, but How'd that set go after he had to push you, how did it go? When you, uh, were well, you know, it never, it never went good. Cause <laughs> number, I always, oh, it was the first, those first years were really bad. Hey, um, but you got to go through that. Yeah. To get, to get to the other side. you got right. to. And so, but that was, you know, I started doing it, started getting, um, acclimated and doing shows and getting out there. And then I got pregnant. And I was, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally going to keep doing this. And then as soon as I started showing and getting big, I was like, I can't, I, I can't get on stage with these, with people staring at my cankles. Like I can't do that. I, <laughs> I'm not going to subject oh, I people. I would have, I would have, 
I would have cankle heckled you all day long. I know, right? People like yeah, it was. Sure. Oh, and then I had carpal tunnel, so I probably wouldn't have been able to hold the mic. I was barely able to do anything. Like it wasn't a bad pregnancy, but I, I mean, I was. It was just. I, I was just out of commission. I was like, "There's no way. There's no way I'm going to be able to get out." here and stand up on stage and talk to people while my feet are swollen and I can't feel my hands, you know? So then I, you know, fast forward, I gave birth, still thinking about stand-up comedy. And then, you know, my son, then the pandemic happens. He turns two or three, two, two and a half, I think it was like around 18 months to 20 months, like right around the time that I stopped breastfeeding. I was like, okay, I really, really need to Cause I couldn't stop thinking about, I was literally obsessed. I was watching, um, all the standup specials, especially during the pandemic. I was reading all the books. I ordered every book that every comic ever wrote, wrote, read all the, um, comedy, you know, writing books, the comedy Bible, how to write funny, like all the books and took a bunch of online classes during the pandemic. And even after the pandemic, And, you know, I was like just mentally preparing myself to get back on stage. And then finally, after an online class, a lady was like, hey, Linda, I'm going to be in San Diego. Let's go to an open mic. And if she hadn't said that to me, it probably another year probably would have passed before I because, you know, I'm always getting ready to be get ready. Like that's one of my faults, you know, but um, preparing, 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 preparing. And then. I totally bombed, but I remembered that feeling, that feeling of like being alive. You know, when you, that adrenaline rush, when you leave someplace and you have that knot in your stomach and you're like, yeah, that was amazing. And, and that feeling of like just being alive and present and just in the zone, like there's nothing like it. So, and I used to get like that before a fight. Like when oh, I was yeah. fighting Muay Thai, yeah, yeah, and I you're remember. in the back. Like when you're in the back and you're you're warming up, or you, you know, you know there are fights going on, and you know that it's only a short matter of time till they call your name, and you got to go out there, and it's just you and that other guy in the ring, and it's just like, but man, talk about yeah. being present. Yeah, you're not thinking about anything else, anything. And it's just, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's on the edge, but it makes you feel alive. Totally. Yeah. I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it because it's. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm, I'm, I'm at the same way right now because traveling and stuff like that gives me that same feeling. Yeah. So when you were talking about that, you know, that, that feeling of freedom that you were experienced before you went to Bali, I was like, oh, I'm gonna start looking at flights. I'm that same way. Like that quote I sent you from the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. <laughs> which you didn't get. Probably. I don't get a lot of things these days. My brain is. (laughs) But it is like sometimes like, you know, I know it's still a couple weeks away before I'm on the plane, but sometimes I'm laying in bed. I'm just excited. Like, I feel like I'm almost vibrating. And, and And there's just a, it's excitement with a hint of, of something. I don't know. Is it apprehension or like that? that, I don't know. That feeling of the the unknown. unknown. The feeling of the unknown. That's it. It's not necessarily a fear, but it's like, what's going to happen? Yeah. 
it's an adventure. Like that's the feeling yes. of living an adventure. That's the feeling of like putting yourself out there and not knowing what's going to happen, but being open to all possibilities and trusting that you will make all the right choices for yourself and letting the universe kind of guide you in that way. You know, it's, it's really about being open to, um, whatever comes your way and just, you know, making decisions and making choices for yourself that is either going to lead you one way or the other, but no matter which way you choose, it's going to work out. You know, I think that's the biggest thing that I learned when I went to Bali was that, um, no matter what I chose, it was always going to work out in my favor. And as long as I trusted my decision and my choice, and as long as it was in alignment with who I am, you know, like we were, I was in a situation in Bali where, cause you know, I don't know if you know this, but drugs are like a big no, no in Bali. And I've heard. like you, if you get caught with drugs, you can die. Like they will punish you to death. Okay. Like, and, um, but you know, it's also a very corrupt country and, um, but it, you know, a lot of third world countries are like that. And that's, you just kind of learn that when you're on the road. Right. It just is. But I got, I got in, I got into a situation where, um, I was invited to this dinner party and there was a bunch of like expats uh, living in Bali who were, you know, out there doing development deals and like, like super successful people. There was a, a consulate um, of a country there. And I was like, how did I get here? You know, like this was (laughs) what in the world? And so I'm surrounded by these like high powered, just soup, but they were super chill, you know, um, expats who were just having a blast in Bali. And, um, you know, there was drugs everywhere. There was cocaine floating around the table, ecstasy, weed, everything. And, you know, like I, I don't partake in, in drugs anymore, but, um, I was like, if I got caught in this situation, my ass would either be stuck here forever or I would be dead. Right. So, but you know, luckily nothing happened, but I was like, okay, these are one of, this is like one of the situations where the universe was like, okay, just be careful. Uh, Right. Like just just a little bit, like I'm going to show you what it's really like here in, here in this country, but also don't get too deep with, with things like that right because they don't they don't play i don't i don't think that going to a prison in bali would be cakewalk at all no i don't i mean wasn't there a story about some white girls trying to smuggle drugs through bali and they ended up like in jail or some shit pretty sure i mean i watched a lot of episodes of locked up abroad yeah (laughs) so yeah i'm not i'm not i don't touch drugs anywhere yeah no, I'm, I'm trying not trying to, to go to a Mexican life. prison. I'm not trying to go to a Thai prison. I'm not trying to go to mm-hmm. Bali prison. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not trying to go to prison. No. Period. Mm-hmm. So, no, sir. No, sir. I'll pass. Yeah. I'll pass on that. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and, and comedy is actually, uh, I, I just turned 40, uh, 41, actually. I was um, going to say you're cheating us of a year or two there. I know. 41. 
this year. And when I started last year, I was like, you know, I'm just, I've been thinking about it for so long. It's been a decade since I started and I'm still obsessed with it and I love it. And I really just want to give it my all and give it a full opportunity to reveal itself to me. You know, like I don't know why um, I can't stop thinking about it, but you know, it, maybe it's the universe's way of telling me this is the path that I'm supposed to take. And it's just me listening to that urging, you know, it's like, yeah. I can't, I can't ignore it anymore. And I feel like the longer I ignore it, the more regret I'm going to have in the future. And I told myself when I turned 40 and I went to that open mic, even though I bombed so hard, it's like, okay, like if I just give this an opportunity and give it my all and give it a fair shot, like a lot can happen in a year. And that year, I that my first year, I'm only on my second year now. Um, I was invited to do the New York Comedy Festival, and I saw. yeah, which was like which is like the most prestigious prestigious comedy festival. Not the most, but is a prestigious it's comedy huge. festival. It's, it's huge. huge. There was like 200 shows, and you know, people like Joe Coy and all these big name comics were in town um, performing that week, and. It was just, you know, proof positive to me that if I, you know, gave my all to something that I've been thinking about and have been wanting to do for so long that the universe is going to reveal it's my, the path to me, you know, right. just trusting that. Well, you have to follow that. And I think that kind of goes with the getting clear on what you want. A lot of people yeah. think they aren't really clear on what they want because they're more concerned about what might look good on Instagram or what society expected them sure. or what parents expected them or whatever. And I think really getting clear on who you are and authentically what you want, that's the key. That's the path that you follow. Yeah, and listening. I feel like, you know, a lot of, I think we all have our dreams and aspirations and then we also have that voice that say no that's too risky no that's too you know that's going to cost too much money or no that's going to be um what is your mom going to think about that or what is your wife going to think about that or your husband or your friends or your family or you know what's society going to think like i had the same experience when i gave up all my shit and bought a one-way ticket to bali you know like I had friends who were like, this is a big mistake, Linda. You're going to fucking regret it. It's going to be awful. You're going to, you know. And I had a lot of naysayers who were like just kind of chirping behind my back like, you know, you're fucking yep. crazy. Why are you doing this? You had a great job. You, you know, you're ruining your life. And mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you. Same I, thing. When yeah. I went to Mexico, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're going to die. That's what I heard all the time is you're yeah. going to go to Mexico and you're going to die. <laughs> Yeah. Right. You're, this is, it's terrible because of what they hear or see on the news and they have, everybody has this preconceived notion of what life out there looks like if it's not following a certain, um, standard, standard right? Exactly. Standard and path. Of, of path yeah. of like getting, you know, like you said, growing up in where you grew up, like this, the norm was for people to go to, 
graduate high school, marry their sweetheart, get a job on a farm, or if you had a farm, be a farmer and do that thing. And it was not normal if you were like, dude, I want to get the fuck out of here, you know? Yeah. And well, that's total black sheep. Like, why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like this, it, exactly. And, and it's like, you know, yes, that's the other thing I learned. People are going to talk shit no matter what you do, do it anyway. Like, you know, 100%. huge, huge lesson. People, and, you know, I'm sure we both fell victim to it in the past as well, but people put too much stock in what other people think about them. Yeah. Yeah. And I was that there was a quote, I think it was something along the lines of you wouldn't care so much what people think about you once you realize that they're not actually thinking about you. Right. <laughs> and what people think about you is none of your fucking business. Exactly. And who gives a shit anyway? Who cares? Like, yeah. and, and it's funny because some of those same people are like, Oh my God, you're crazy. You never do that. That's stupid. You're going to die. Blah, 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 blah. Years later, Oh my God, that looks so amazing. You have such a, you know, it's just, yeah. how did you do that? I really want to do that. I wish I could do that. And you can, if you want. Yeah. We put our own limits on what we, we can do because, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are in a free situation where they don't have anything tying them down, but the only thing keeping them where they are is their indecisiveness, right? Like I had so many people reach out and say, Oh my God, I've always dreamed of doing that. I've always, you know, thought about doing it, but <sighs> golden handcuffs, you know, yep. so things like that. But I want to ask you something. So what was the biggest lesson you learned on your journey? Ooh. That's a good question. I'm going to have to cut a huge pause out of this. Oh, it's editing. No, I don't. Um, biggest lesson I learned. Um, I really don't know if I can put a finger on it. There's there. I learned a lot. Obviously I learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about the world. You know, when you're, especially when you grow up in a, uh, especially the U S in certain parts of the U S very ethnocentric, you know, and like I had a conversation with a girl here in a small town just over and you know, a friend of a friend, you know, they were at the bar having some drinks and she was like, Oh, okay. So, you're, I'm like, yeah, I'm just here for a couple of weeks. And then I told her, oh, I'm going to Miami, Spain, Thailand. And she was just like, I could see the anxiety yeah. raising in her, just me talking about it. And she was like, I, I, I could never, I, no, why, why would you want to do that? Why? I'd like, she's like, I am comfortable right here. I don't need to go more than about 10 miles outside of this town. And this is a town of like 2000 people. Yes. And I was like. You know, to each their own, but inside I'm like, wow, like that's, I, that, that's so foreign to me. Yes. I had that same experience, Steve. So when I got back from um, Bali, I went to Denver and then I was like making my rounds to see family and friends. And um, I ended up in Nashville and um, for, you know, one of my mentors did a little business thing. And I was like, Oh, I, I'm going to go to that. And I was actually right. supposed to go to England, but I canceled my trip to England to do this trip to Nashville. Cause it was like a last minute business thing. Okay. And so anyways, um, after that I was like, Oh, you know, I'm so close to my mom. Like, why don't I just go visit her? You know, it's just right. because she was in Kansas. So I go there and, um, 
like the first night there, um, we go to the bar next door to her restaurant and there's this young kid, um, probably about 23, 24, 25 maybe. And we were just talking and I told him, um, that I'd just gotten back from Bali and that I'd been traveling around. And he was like, wow, I haven't left the four corners of this state and I have no intention of ever leaving. And I was like, wow, like, really? I, I can't even comprehend that, but it's there. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's mind boggling to me, but, but that's the kind of like small town thinking that keeps people residing in their own fears and their own limitations, right? Like if you can't even think of outside of your own state, like yeah. that's, it's literally, it's like literally keeping you stuck in this box. But yeah, how can you, know, you grow? There's, there's no judgment on that, you know, like, no, but, everybody, but, whatever makes anybody happy. That's cool. But I personally, that is so foreign to me. I can't yes. even wrap my mind around it. I know it's insane, but there are so many people stuck in that same mindset who personal development or personal growth isn't even, doesn't even exist for them. They, right. you know, like it just doesn't. And I've come to realize that because, you know, I see a lot, like I've, you know, I've performed quite a bit now and I, and it's like when I talk to people and, um, and, and even like, even in the comic community, like the comedians, sometimes personal development isn't in their game, you know, right. like it's just getting up, writing jokes and that's their type their, that's their personal development course in action. Right. but no nothing else right and right. um i don't know it's just so i want to ask you this like what drew you to personal development and like what was the thing that got you into reading um and learning more like wanting to grow as a person you know i don't there was no one thing i have been like this for as long as i remember if i was going to if i put my finger on one thing it would be, I was, I was really skinny growing up. Uh, I was very smart. So I got moved up a grade and I was also a late bloomer, like physically, like puberty hit me disrespectfully late. I was like horribly, <laughs> horribly late. So when I was in, you know, like eighth grade, I was getting picked on by sixth graders. Dang. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. So I started combing, you know, that's when I kind of started working out, but I, I, I don't, I, I just immersed myself into working out. I got Arnold Schwarzenegger's encyclopedia of modern bodybuilding. It was like this thick. I read it, paid it for all the time. And I just soaked up all this knowledge, but somewhere in there, I learned about goal setting mm. and I started getting more into goals and I, and I, and I read can't remember what was it was it rich dad poor dad or i started that was the thing that probably got me into it because i learned the importance of goal setting you know as i would i was psychotic about it. i was tracking my calories i was drinking like over a gallon of whole milk a day i was, uh, you know grew up on a farm you know like yeah. how and i didn't have money to go out and buy tubs of protein powder and everything so okay. 
I ate a bunch of cheese and milk and mac and cheese. <laughs> just, I was just stuffing because I was so skinny. And I was like, I'm going to do this. So I, I set goals. I want to weigh this. And I, I want my arms to measure this. And I want, you know, I had all these, I was tracking, I was measuring once a month, I was measuring my arms and, and, um, I got really obsessed into that. And then from, cause I was, I had hit six feet tall and I think I weighed about 125 pounds. Damn, you're a stick. You could see ribs. My elbow joints were bigger than my arms. <laughs> oh my <laughs> I looked like, I looked like straight out of one of those Sally Struthers commercials. Like yeah, that yeah. was bad. Um, so I, I just immersed myself into that. And then over a summer, I hit a little bit of a growth spurt and I put on, you know, some decent weight, even over a summer. And this is Minnesota, right? So it gets really cold here. The only thing, the only place that I had to work out was in the barn. My dad helped me put together a gym in the haymow of our barn, not insulated, nothing. And I had like this old Joe Weider bench and some plastic weights from Sears. And I was up there every single night without fail. 40 below, I was up there working out. So, and I haven't missed more than two weeks in 37 years. That's amazing. Ever. That's consistency. Yes, that's amazing. And that's why you have that tattoo on your arm, right? Discipline. Hell yeah. Discipline. Because yes. discipline trumps motivation anytime. There's those times that I didn't feel like going out in that cold ass freaking barn in 40 yeah. below with gloves like on. My and... husband. Yeah. <laughs> so I did it. And then, but that's what kind of got me into the goal setting and then started me. Okay. So I started looking at other goal books and then I started, you know, it, I don't remember any one thing of like, oh, personal development. It just became part of who I was. And after that summer, when I went back to school, I had put on enough weight that all the kids that used to kind of bully me around were like, eh, we're going to yeah, go pick on this guy. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, there was some positive reinforcement there as yeah. well. And again, you know, it gave me a lot more confidence right. in myself. And I started to walk different and talk different. Yeah. And I realized the power of setting and focusing on goals. So that was kind of a organic emergence since I was 14. Amazing. So I've been, I was reading stuff in high school, like Robert Kiyosaki and Damn. things like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. Well, I mean, obviously it, you know, the m mindset and the goal setting stuff really stuck for you because I mean, here we are. Like I, it, I and I think, you know, like even for me, my self-development journey um, started probably like when my brother and my dad passed away. They, it kind of jump-started like my spiritual journey. But then I was like, you know, who am I? Who am I? The existential question. The ex right? Yeah, that, that word. <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm like, yes, that. Right? Like, who am I? What am I doing here? Why? Like, if, if good people die young, like, why are we even here? Like, what is our purpose and what is our existence meant for? And so I like, I went into deep crisis when I was probably when I was 16. Shut and down. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And then, and then, um, you know, it, that, that kind of jump started my like spiritual inquiries. And then that coupled with me being on, like I, when I was 16, I became what I call self 
emancipated, which, okay. you know, the state of California would probably beg to differ and say, no, you ran away from home. Um, I believe self-emancipation is a positive term. Yes, it's a positive reframing of that. Um, I was 17 when I self-emancipated, so. Yeah, so I think that's another thing that we have in common. You know, it's like I, I, I was so determined to make it on my own that at 16 years old, I literally packed my bags and planned this whole elaborate thing where my friend picked me up while my mom was, you know, at her graveyard shift job and I left and, and, um, and, and I, and I seriously remember the day that I left, I was like, there's no turning back now. I'm not coming back. I cannot come back to this because it, it was be just failure. It would be failure. And like, the environment was just so volatile and so toxic and so negative. I was like, I can't fucking live like this. Every time something big happened in my life or there was a big change, I always told myself, I can't fucking live like this. I can't fucking live like yeah. this. So it was like, boom, you know, but I remember telling myself that day, like there's no turning back now. I cannot come back to this situation and I can make it, I can make it on my own. And yep. I was just, I, I was so determined. And so like that led me to living by myself and, um, you know, for the first couple of years I had roommates and stuff, but as soon as I could get my own place, I got it. And then I ran into this guy that I dated in high school and the sparks went off and he was like, well, I live in San Diego. So, and I was like, fuck, I'll come see you in San Diego. Like, let's do this. <laughs> and, um, you know, what was interesting is that like when I got to San Diego, I knew that it wasn't going to work out between us, but, but it's worked out between you and the city. But it's worked out between me and the city. I love this place. Yeah. But, you know, it was crazy because, like, those sparks, I, I remember it so vividly because it was the first time, like, I ever felt, like, the electricity run through my body. And, and like, that knowing. That was the only time I've ever sensed that feeling of, like, just knowing that I needed to be with this dude. And so it got me down to San Diego. And um, we were you know, like fast forward, we're living in an apartment together. I'm sitting in front of the couch because I'm like literally every single night I'm crying myself to sleep because of all the past shit that's happened up until then, you know, all the stuff with my mom and my dad and just wondering yeah. why nobody cares about me and you know, all that bullshit. Yeah. So I'm sitting in his little green, little rocker. I'm, I have the TV on, I'm flipping through the channels and I've come to um, PBS, right? The public broadcasting yeah, system. PBS. PBS. And Wayne Dyer, I didn't know who he was at the time, but Wayne Dyer was on the TV. And Power he was, of Intention. Yes. He was selling his new book, The Power of Intention. And I was like, wow, I've never heard of this before. I've never heard of anything like this. And he was talking about all the things that is taught in the power of intention. He was like, and today you can buy this whole, the, you can get the whole enchilada for $300. And CDs and, and yeah. yes, the CDs. And you know, like I have the CDs, the book. And along with that, you get a license plate packer, placard for, um, you know, the frame for KPBS or whatever it is. Right. Yep. 
I was like, hell yeah, I'm gonna get it. I'm, <laughs> and I was so broke. I was so broke at the time, but I knew I needed to get my hands on this information because I was like, this is a thing that can change my life. I know it. And right when I, <laughs> right when I pulled out my credit card, my boyfriend walks in. And he was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm buying the whole enchilada. I'm getting everything. <laughs> I'm getting everything. Don't you know? It's the fucking power of intention. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting this stuff. And um, so he was like, oh, oh, no, not that. Right. So totally deflated my whole, I was like, I don't care what you say. I'm getting it. 